Right, first of all, I'm not going to assume that everybody who's here uh, is used to coming to church or knows a lot about Christianity and the Bible. Uh, many of you may, but I'm going to assume that not everybody does. And I'm just going to explain a little bit of what I'm going to do. I am going to read in a moment from the Bible. And uh, we as Christians believe in, in, in the Bible. It contains and is God's word to us. that It's made up of the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. It's telling us that Jesus is coming. The promised leader who's going to bring in God's wonderful kingdom, God's dream world. And the New Testament is about when he arrives and does that and through his death and resurrection and then begins by, with the Holy Spirit, the church that we've been hearing about this morning. The church, which because it has Christ in it and the Spirit empowering it, is the hope of our world. I believe that. I believe the church is the hope of the world. Because, not because of us, but because Jesus is in us. That's why I loved our time together last weekend, because it was all about God is building his church. Um, so that's what the New Testament is about, okay? The first part of the New Testament, the Gospels, is about Jesus, what he does and what he teaches, and then what happens to him is death and resurrection. And then the rest of it is about uh, the beginnings of the church, and I will talk more about that. But I'm going to read from you, to you, sorry, from the Gospels. So this is, to begin with, Jesus speaking. And we are learning together as a church, about what does it mean to follow Jesus together. So not just as a collection of individuals, but following Jesus together as a community of disciples. A disciple is just another word for a follower of Jesus. If you've got your Bibles or your phones or whatever you use, turn to Matthew. I've actually, I felt like I wanted to actually have a Bible. I've got them written down here, the passages, but I want to have a Bible. I'm feeling a bit of nostalgia for hearing paper turning. You know, I just, I just want to hear it, you know. So I'm doing that, even though I probably got the wrong glasses on for that. This is my, my, dad, my father's Bible um, that I still use. Yeah, so uh, Matthew 23. The other thing I just need to say, because I know that there are people with us this morning who, for whom English is not your first language, you're so welcome among us. I will try to speak slowly, but I can't promise uh, because when I get excited, I speak quickly. Um, but I, I, I just promise you that uh, we do produce, we do write summaries of the, me the message. You can get them online and we'll make them available to you. But I just want to start by reading from the scriptures, which as I say, we believe is God's word written thousands of years ago and yet full of life and power for us today. So this is, the, uh, this is Jesus in Matthew 23, and it's verse 37. Okay, I'm going to have to cheat. I've, I've turned the pages, but I'm going to read from my paper now. Anyway, and this is Jesus, and he's talking about the people of Israel. Jerusalem is the capital, obviously, of Israel. And these people have continually, God has sent them messengers and prophets with his word to help them. And they've just ignored them, resisted them, stoned them. And, and Jesus prays that they're going to do the same to Jesus, of course. They're going to crucify him. But Jesus prays, uh, says this, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, 
How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Can you hear the longing of Jesus in those words? I've so longed to gather you together, but you would not. The longing of Jesus is to gather people together. And then flick over to Matthew chapter 26, please. Can you hear it? Matthew 26 and verse 31. This is when all the disciples, he's warning them that they're going to, he's going to be crucified. And all the disciples are swearing allegiance. We're, we're going to stand by you. And Jesus said, no, it won't happen. Matthew 26, verse 31. It will appear, by the way, over, your, over my head here somewhere in a moment. So if you can't read it on your devices or your Bibles, then it will appear for you. Jesus said this to them. This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. The longing of Jesus is to bring people together. The lament of Jesus in this moment is that the sheep are going to be scattered because the shepherd himself has been struck down, crucified. Not all scattering is bad. Seed scattered is good. Sheep scattered is bad. Because sheep belong together. Have you heard? The longing of Jesus is to bring people together. The lament of Jesus is that people are being scattered. And then turn over a few more pages, please, to John chapter 11. <clears throat> John chapter 11. Now here, Jesus has just done this amazing miracle. He has raised Lazarus from the dead. You would think, wouldn't you, that if you saw a miracle like that, you would just believe and just bow down and worship him. And many, many did, of course. But the religious people, I'm using religious in a negative sense. It's sometimes used in a positive sense. But here, like we talk sometimes about religiosity. I'm using religious in a negative sense here. Uh, the religious leaders don't like the power of God. Because they can't control it. They can't contain it. They don't like it. And so some of them went off to tell the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of that time. And it says here, Therefore many of the Jews, this is after they'd seen the miracle, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Hallelujah. But then it says, But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's the, the religious court. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, if only. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So they're worried that the stir that Jesus is causing is going to cause the Romans to clamp down on them. And then one of, the man, one of them, named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, he spoke up. He said, you know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. What he's saying is, rather than 
the Romans clamped down on the whole nation. We're going to make Jesus a scapegoat. And so they're planning to crucify him. But then I want you to notice the next words because what he says now, and we're told, he thinks he's plotting, but he's actually prophesying what's going to happen. The Spirit is using him. You know what? People can plot all, all that they like and rage against Jesus, but the Spirit will take what is evil and bring good out of it. Okay? And this is what happens here. Notice what it says. He did not say this on his own, verse 51, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation. And not only for that nation, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. So from that day on, they plotted to kill Jesus. Please notice, please notice in verse 52, this, for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Jesus died to bring those who are scattered all over the place, bring them together and make them one. Make them one body. You think, Jesus died for that. I thought Jesus died so I could get saved. I thought Jesus died so I could get into heaven. I thought Jesus died so that I could have my sins forgiven. Well, yes, all of that's included, but Jesus died for the whole body to be formed, to bring those who were scattered and divided together and make them one body. When we're talking about following Jesus together, folks, it's not just our little theme for the moment. We're talking about the heart of what Jesus died for. It was to bring a body together. Can you hear the longing of Jesus? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I long to gather you together like a hen with its chicks. I'm going to have to take my inhaler in a minute. I'm getting so excited. I want to talk to you this morning about the longing of leadership. Because, you see, it's the longing of Christ. He's the head. He's the ultimate leader. But if leadership has its roots in Christ, if leadership is shaped by Jesus, resourced and empowered by Jesus, if it's Christ-like in that sense, I don't mean the individual leaders are fully like Jesus, but they're having their leadership shaped by him, they will feel something of this longing. The longing of Jesus is for people to be gathered the lament of Jesus is when his people are scattered. The ultimate hope of Jesus is that the scattered will be gathered together and made one. And leaders, I'm sure, I hope we all sense that. But leaders, if it's going to be Christ-like leadership, must sense that. It can get distorted. Leaders long to see churches come together. They long to see God's people together. They long to see people really involved, counting themselves in, really functioning and flourishing as a local church. We love to see that. We long to see that. Now, that can get distorted. There's a dark side to it. There's a shadow side to it. It can become, we just want bums on seats, you know, so it looks like we're being successful. It can become that. It become, why don't people do what I want them to do? It can have a shadow side to it. But the good thing that it's the heart of it is they've touched into something of the heart of Christ because they long to see the church 
flourishing together as one. And there may be some of you here, in fact, I believe there are, the Holy Spirit has just given me this sense that there are people here who have felt scattered. You might, might have felt scattered inwardly. Some of you have been scattered. Literally, you are some, not all, but some are refugees from your own home. You've been scattered across the world. And the Holy Spirit is saying to you today, I want you gathered as part of my body, as part of my church. And for us to function together, I believe leadership is a key. I'm going into a dangerous area today. Trevor, a few weeks ago, he had a, a learner sign when he was preaching. And all of us who are preachers should have that there. Because <laughs> we're all learners, all of us. But I feel as though I should have a danger sign here as well. Because I'm venturing into an area that's a bit of a minefield, talking about leadership, especially in our day. Why is that? Well, excuse me. I think part of it is there is a natural resistance in every, in every one of us. Ever since the fall of Adam, there's a natural resistance in all of us to be led. To be, we don't want anybody telling us what to do, do we? We'll do our own thing, thank you very much. There's a natural resistance there. But more than that, in our, in our age, in the culture in which we live, in this generation, in the Western world anyway, there is a lot of cynicism about leadership, a lot of mistrust of leadership, a lack of confidence in leadership, which I understand. Right now, and I'm not making any party political, partisan point here, we have a bit of a crisis of political leadership in our nation. When it comes to integrity and honesty. I don't care, it doesn't matter what party you vote for, we, you need political leaders who are people of integrity, people you can trust. But in the church as well, over the last oh, number of years now, there seems to be constant story after story of, of leaders failing and falling morally or in, in some way. I mean, big names, names you thought you never would have believed. From international speakers to local pastors, we hear of leaders who have fallen. Many of us, probably all, well, all of us, let's say just say all of us, at some point have been disappointed in leaders. Some of you have been disappointed at times in this leader. That's fine. I apologize if it was my fault, and it probably was. Some of us have gone beyond being disappointed. We've been hurt or damaged by leadership. So I understand. I understand why there is cynicism and mistrust about leadership. But while it is understandable, it is not ultimately helpful. Because the church, for it to come together, for it to grow together, for it to flow together, for it to move forward together, needs leadership. And I just want to share, I'm, I'm making myself vulnerable. I'm moving into a minefield here. But I want to be honest with you and open with you. I, I, I like Paul. I'm a big fan of Paul in the New Testament. Paul, by the way, if you're new to this, Paul wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. As the church was getting started, he was one of the main leaders that God used. And I, I, I really like Paul. He gets a bad rap sometimes because he's, you know, he kind of, he does sound a bit... He does sound a bit passive-aggressive sometimes, let's be honest. He does, he does sound a bit edgy. And, and, but, but I like him. And what I like him is he's open-hearted. 
He says, I open my heart to you. He's honest. He's pretty raw at times, and I love that. And I try to be like that myself. So this is, this is by the way, is not being self-serving. I'm not, I'm not bringing this word so you'll all do what I say. I'm not, this is not what the purpose of this. Okay, this is not self-serving. It's not special pleading. I'm just trying to be open-hearted with you about the importance of leadership to, to, us, to bringing us together. Remember, when, this, when you strike the shepherd, the sheep are scattered. And the devil has done, you have to hand it to him, sadly, he's done a good job at striking leaders in our generation in the church. There's a lot of been struck down. That's not, by the way, blaming the devil. They have responsibility for their own actions. But shepherds have been struck down. It's affected the church badly. But I tell you what, it's not just striking individual leaders. If he can strike the whole idea of leadership down, then he really scatters people and begins to win. And that's what's happening. Some people are undermining leadership. They think, you know, well, let's forget about leadership. Let's just all kind of do our, do our own thing or kind of work it out together somehow. But no, I, for biblical reasons, theological reasons, logical reasons, pragmatic reasons, look in the Bible, we need leadership in the church. Okay. I told you. Let me go back to this. The longing of leadership is to bring God's people together. I used to say, and I still would say, the longing of leadership you can find in Galatians 4 verse 19. Paul compares it to a woman in childbirth. And he says, I am in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. So the longing of leadership is for people to be Christ-like, to become like Christ. But it's not just individuals. He says, until Christ is formed in you as a group of people. And in Ephesians 4 verse 13, it says, leadership is given to equip us to do all our, the service work until, it says, we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, that's Christ-like, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So the longing of leadership is both for unity and maturity. You can't have one without the other. For the church to really look like Jesus, it has to come together. Okay, I'm in the minefield. Now I'm going to step on two big mines. So anybody likes that kind of thing, you know, a bit gruesome, here I go. I'm going to read from, to, to you from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. This is the verse, some of you will know, where it says, submit to your, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. And you're thinking, he's definitely doing this because he's got an agenda here. No, he isn't. And I'm not doing it, by the way. People think, is he teaching on this because he's reacting against something? Is something happening that we don't know? No, he isn't. He really isn't. In fact, I'm able to do this. I'm able to teach about this because I'm so blessed we're in a healthy place. We're in a good place. If I'd have tried this a few years ago, well, it would have been a minefield. But, um, uh, but it's not. We're in a healthy place, and thank God for that. He's been so faithful to us. He's been so good to us. It's a good time, in one sense, to really be honest with you about leadership. Now, of course, these words, obey your leaders and submit, obey and submit, man, can you, the explosion's gone off there because nobody talks about this these days because of, we understand why, how people reacting to leadership. But it's interesting, you know, we've been le learning some of us from the monastic tradition. Many monks would make vows of submission and obedience. Why? Because they recognize they didn't know everything. They recognized that um, they had a shadow self. They could easily mislead themselves. They recognized that 
we can be our own worst enemies at times. And they wanted somebody who would help them and instruct them and speak honestly with them when they were going off. They would make vows of obedience. Didn't always work well, but they saw the value of it. I tried to find the right, the right translation of the Bible. Again, if you're new to this, uh, there are many different translations of the Bible. They're all communicating the same message, but they just come from a different, slightly different angle. Now, I thought, why am I trying to get the best scripture here? Is this to make it as more palatable as possible? I think, no, I want to try and explain what it's like. Oh, my goodness. Look at the time. I'm sorry. Um, I've got a rush now. Can you all listen quickly, please? It would help me. Um, it says this. In, I'm going to the old living Bible. Not the new living Bible. The, old, the original living Bible I've gone to for this. It says, I don't think you'll have it up there, so don't worry. I'll just read it. Obey your spiritual leaders and be willing to do what they say. For their work is to watch over your souls and God will judge them on how well they do this. Please notice it's God who judges them. Not you, okay? Just I want to point that out there. It's God who judges them. Give them reason to report joyfully about you to the Lord and not with sorrow, for then you will suffer for it too. What does that mean? Well, I, I, I'm trying to think of it this way because I do not think it means, right, I'm the, I'm the leader around here. You just do what I say. I don't think it means that for one minute. It's totally misunderstanding it. So I've been thinking, Lord, how do, I, how do I express this? What does it mean in a way that we can, we can receive the challenge of it, but see the health of it? And um, this is what I thought. There are times, I don't know about you, but I speak to myself all the time. I tell myself off. I said, Trevor, you're an idiot. Why are you behaving like that? Why did you just, why did you just react badly to that person? Why were you a bit snarky then? What did, what's all this you preach about forgiveness and being forbearing and... Why did you do that? You need to work on that, you know. And, and I'll talk to myself. So why, are you, why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope in God. <laughs> Praise him. Why are, you feel, you know, why are you so negative about this stuff that's about to happen? You know, trust God. Don't be anxious. You know, I, I speak to myself like that, yeah? Because I'm caring for my soul. What's happening with leaders is that they're just not doing it to their own soul. They're doing it to your soul, too. <laughs> they won't call you idiots, don't worry. They won't. Well, hopefully not. Although the Bible does. The Bible calls us fools. And if we're, if we're going down a certain way, the Bible calls us fools. Now, hopefully your leaders won't come around. You fool. Why are you doing that? But they might instruct you and correct you and help you. Say, this, I, I have the care of your soul. I want you to do well. I remember many years ago, I was praying for somebody. I don't normally do this, by the way. I was praying for somebody. And because I felt sometimes this person, they wanted like a magic wand to be waved. And it would all be fine. And I thought, no, that's not what's going to happen here. And so I said this to them. And I felt it was in the spirit. I wouldn't normally do this. I said to them, if you would do exactly what I tell you to do, I could help you get out of this. He didn't. But I, it was just the point was, if you would just do as those who care about your life, who care about your soul, sometimes you just do what they'd say. You would grow. You'd move forward. And we'd move forward together. I'm, uh, I'm all over the place here, folks. There's something I, I just, I'm going to just share with you. Because I don't want to, because it's, you know, it's quite a challenging topic in some ways. But I, I'm just going to leave you with some things in a moment about 
things that we can do to help us work with leaders, respond to leaders, cooperate with leaders. It isn't, by the way, that we all have to be in agreement with everything, on everything. We don't have to be in agreement. Although, agreement's not bad. Paul did say, I, I, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree with one another in what you say, and you are fully united in mind and thought. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. So agreement is good. I think he's talking about on the fundamentals of the faith and vision and so on. And he says, um, uh, well, yeah, actually, agreement is, is a good thing, but we don't have to agree on everything. And what we don't want is a, is a pretend agreement. And Jesus says, you say peace, peace, when there is no peace. We don't want to pretend to agree. Agreement, sometimes you have to work things through and have honest conversations and study things and look at things. But agreement is good. Don't make, in these days of deconstruction, don't make disagreement an ultimate virtue. But it's not agreement, it's alignment. Alignment is when we're flowing together, we're moving forward together. It's not everybody pulling their own different ways, but we're pulling together in the same way, with the same vision, based on the same truth and according to the same values. So I just want, behind all of this, folks, is please misunderstand, do not misunderstand me. I'm being open with you. I'm being vulnerable with you. This is not about... Will you please just do what we say? It really isn't. This is about the importance of leadership to us growing and moving forward together. It's, it's touching the heart of Jesus that longs for the scattered to be gathered together and to become one. Did I start at five past, Sarah? Did I, I just? Okay, doesn't matter. I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll just, I literally got to read these to you. I just, because I've not left myself with enough time and I don't want to overdo it. Um, so I'm going to leave these with you. Little seed thoughts. It's not a formula. It's not an exhaustive list. It's things that will help you to respond to, cooperate with, and work with leaders so that we can move forward together. Number one, honor and value the gift of leadership. I don't mean, by the way, I didn't say honor and value leaders. I hope you can do that, but honor can never be demanded. It can only ever be given. I'm talking about honoring leadership. Even if leaders behave dishonorably at times, honor the gift of leadership. The ascended Christ gave gifts of leaders to his church to prepare us all for works of service so that the body of Christ may be united and mature. So honor the gift that he's given to his church. Number two, recognize that all leaders, I'm talking about leaders now, all leaders are flawed, fallen, and limited, just like you. Okay? <laughs> we all are. He uses, he, he uses earthen, broken vessels to display his glory with all of us. They will disappoint you at times. They will get things wrong. They will behave badly at times. Extend grace without excusing or giving them a free pass. But recognize they will disappoint they won't get it always right. Not only are they flawed, but they're limited. They can't know everything. They can't do everything. They can't be everywhere. Um, and as I said before, it's not your job to judge them. God does that. I remember somebody who felt that their main calling in life was to correct me. I mean, to point out where I was going wrong. They found, we used to talk about finding your place in the body of Christ. They'd found their place was keeping me in mind. That's what they'd decided. Don't do that. If you find yourself 
like the main occupation of your life is finding fault with what the leadership are doing, then maybe the problem's with you. Anyway, just, just saying that there. Yeah. Okay, here's number three. Share honestly, but hold things lightly. We want to hear. We, will, we do promise to listen to what people have to say. You might see something that we have totally overlooked. But when I say we, by the way, leadership must always be done in team. We believe there's a leader to the team, but leadership must be in team. Um, please don't just go mumbling in your tents to people who can't do anything about it. If you see a problem, if you see something overlooked, come and talk to the leaders who can do something about it. Sometimes they say, gosh, you know what? I hadn't thought about that. That's a brilliant idea. Plum and egg, let's do something about it. But other times, can I encourage you to approach leaders when you come to talk to them with, with words like this? Can you help me understand why? Okay, so rather than say, why are we doing this? This is terrible. I don't like that idea. No, no, come and say, can you help me understand why? Because the chances are for major big things, the leaders would have put a lot of time, a lot of prayer, a lot of research, a lot of discussion into deciding on a direction or a next step or what have you. Please assume that that's what they've done, especially for major things. And you're coming to say, can you help me understand why? And maybe you'll help us to understand an angle on it that we've not seen. But, well, anyway, I won't say any more about that. I could say a lot about that. I'm just going to leave it out there. And number four, it goes together with this. Recognize that what you see and what you are passionate about is only part of the whole picture. Okay, a leadership team has to try and see the whole picture together. It's like somebody saying, you know, somebody's building a house and you might have this great plan for these wonderful windows that need to go in. You've got this like stained glass, brilliant, I, I don't know, well, what, what, I don't know what I say, brilliant windows, a window's a window to me, I guess, but, um, but you've got these wonderful windows. Why aren't we putting these windows in? Why aren't we putting this in? Why are you doing this? We should be putting these windows in. This is my gift. You need to let me express my gift with these wonderful windows. And the leader's there thinking, can we please put the walls up first, you know? For you to put your windows in, there's a time and a place for everything. There's a, there's a phase of the building, and leaders understand that and are trying to see the big picture. So please understand that what you are passionate about, what you see, is only part of the big picture. Okay, I've got to move on quickly. Number five, know that leadership is not all about who is standing at the front and on the platform. Okay, now, leading in worship, and I thank God for Marcus and the whole team, is very, very important. The ministry of God's word, what I'm trying to do now, is, is really, really important. And people have devalued that and have maybe suggested that those who are on the platform are just kind of on an ego trip. That's not true. For every, you know, I wanted to say this earlier, for every leader who has failed, and maybe for every leader who stood on the platform and was on an ego trip, there are thousands upon leaders across the world who are seeking faithfully to preach God's word and lead God's people as best they can under the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Just Trust me on that. So it's important. But the guy at the front is not the whole picture. Okay, there's lots of leaders scattered, praise God, throughout this church who can help you, who can lead you, who can, who can care for your soul, who can speak into your life to help you to grow and help us all to move forward together. By the way, it's important for those of you who have got gifts of leadership in the church family that you are in alignment with the, the leadership of the whole community. Otherwise, your gift of leadership will help to scatter rather than to gather. So it's important that we're all aligned together, but there are different leaders scattered throughout the church. Leadership is not just about the guy at the front. Sometimes people, and this still happens sadly, sometimes people think, well, unless it's the guy who I see at the front a lot, who I think of as the, the leader really, unless it's him coming to see me and deal with my problem, then it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not good enough. 
But there are loads of leaders who can help you with your problems. In fact, right now, the guy stood at the front is probably the worst person to help you with your problem. In fact, that comes on to my, my last point here. Accept that within a leadership team, there are different strengths and gifts. I am, for example, that's why I said what I just said, I am not the best at listening to, I, I believe in listening, I believe leaders should listen, by the way, but I, I am not the best at trying to listen to the detail of people's complex life problems and kind of untie the knottiness of them. I'm sorry you start getting into too much detail with me. I will glaze over. I'm sorry, I will glaze over about 30 seconds. I don't know, but I will glaze over. But there's, there's people who are just brilliant in this church family who are kind of really helping you untie all the knots of a difficult situation and, and really get in there and help you. There are people that maybe not stood at the front, but they're at the front, but they're really good at that. Me, after 30 seconds, knotty problem. I'm looking for a pair of scissors. That's what I would do. I'm not the best for that. So find the leader who's best suited to help with your problem. Okay, I'm in danger of going on too long, you know. But um, can I just encourage you on this? And we're going to turn to John 17 to finish. but Because we're going to go right back to the heart of this. I've tried to be practical. I've tried to earth it. So we can really make it work together. Not that we're not. Not that it's terrible at the moment. It's not. But even better in our response to leadership. Adopt the posture of the apprentice. Adopt the posture of the apprentice. I went for coffee. I don't, well, he's not here. He was here earlier. Richard Rathod. I um, was speaking to him. I went for coffee with him to talk to him. And he just said this. He said, because I, you know, I was just talking to him about you know, some of the, what it's like being leader in the church and so on. And um, he's saying, you know, I find that not many people adopt the posture of the apprentice. The posture of the apprentice is somebody who says, I, I want to learn. Teach me. I want to be helped. I'm not going to resist. I, I want to learn. If we adopt the posture of the apprentice, it's really helpful. I, it just stuck with me so much. I said to him, do some more work on that. And, and in a few weeks' time, we're going to ask him to come and speak to us on a Sunday morning about the posture of the apprentice, because I think it's so important. Okay, leave it at that. John 17. We're coming back to the longing of Jesus to take that which is scattered, to gather it together, and make it one. I'm sorry if I've spoken too quickly for some of you. God bless you. I will do a summary just for you. And we'll have it translated if necessary. John 17. He's prayed for his... Jesus is about to die. He knows the next day he's going to die. He's, a, he's prayed for his disciples. And then in verse 20 he says this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our vision as a church is the vision that God gives to all churches, but we've articulated it in this particular way. It is to see the love of God made real in the real world. So people can see how tangible and real and observable the love of God is among us. If I understand what I've just read rightly, one of the main ways in which the love of God will be made real to people is through what they see in us coming together 
and being one. That was the prayer of Jesus. It's the longing of Jesus to gather the scattered together and make them one. Could I ask you to stand, please? There are people here this morning who feel scattered inside and out. The Holy Spirit is here. The Holy Spirit says we have all been baptized by one spirit and we've all been given one spirit to drink. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ and works to bring us together. So I just ask right now, you can start playing for me, Marcus. Right now, Holy Spirit, just come. We can't do this on our own. It's impossible. Take a miracle to get us lot working together. (laughs) And that's what you do, a miracle, by the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Lord, would you take some of the seeds that I've just sown out today, take some of the words that I've sown out, and just, Lord, help us. Help us to move forward together, to respond to those who lead us well. I mean, that's the responding well, I mean. (laughs) Because, Jesus, we long to see your church united, and we long to see your church growing to maturity and in Christ do whatever you need to do in our hearts do whatever you need to do in our relationships but Lord have your way in us and make us one